Join us for an immersive personal encounter with a single work of art as seen through the eyes of an art historian. You're listening to In the Foreground Object Studies, a podcast series from the Research and Academic Program at the Clark Art Institute. In this episode, Wu Yufang, a graduate student in the Williams Graduate Program in the History of Art, shares a work of calligraphy that dates to the early Tang Dynasty in China, around 632. This inscription has influenced generations of practitioners with how the brush strokes skillfully balance liminality and tranquil harmony. My name is Wu Yufeng, and today I will introduce you to a work of Chinese calligraphy. Known as the Stele Inscription of the Jiucheng Palace, the work was created by Ouyang Xun in 632 during the early Tang Dynasty. When we speak of an art of writing, the association is usually more literary than visual. Writing is an art of rhetoric and argumentation, of prose style and poetic effect. Words are important only insofar as they serve as a vehicle for meaning and for the message that we intend to convey. Indeed, we see words more as signifier of other things. The word cow stands for the milk-making animal, and few would stop to ponder the visual qualities of the letters. A circle joining a semicircle and a zigzag pattern. No. Our eyes meet a sign, excavate its meanings, and move on leaving the visual forms behind. But calligraphy demands a reverse kind of reading, where visual form stands independent from verbal content, as much important, if not more so. A student of calligraphy would learn to practice by closely looking at historical paragons, reading each character by tracing the movement of lines and shapes from the beginning of the first brushstroke to the end of the last. A canonical example well demonstrates this pedagogical process. The character that I will focus on in this episode comes from the Tang Dynasty Stele inscription of the Jiucheng Palace by the hand of Ouyang Xun, one of the most famous calligraphers of the 7th century. Erected in 632, the stele is more than 2 meters tall and 1 meter wide, made of dark stone topped by winding dragons and supported by a turtle-looking creature at the bottom. The more than 1,200 characters are carved in the middle on the stele proper, and it is in the beginning of the text that we find the character that I am going to speak about today. This character, Xia, is commonly used to denote the season summer. At this point, I would encourage you to turn to the image in this episode. Now let's move through it together, one breaststroke at a time. We begin at the top with a long horizontal line, slightly sunken in the middle, but swelling at the two ends. Even with a largely rectilinear form, the calligrapher varies its thickness and curves up its bottom edge to avoid the tedium of a continuous straight line. Then a small triangular dot falls left, leading to the central square, that contains two slim strokes. Its left edge shows the tip of the brush at the top where the downward motion begins. 
and immediately to the right, a tiny gap is left open to allow for the circulation of air in the otherwise enclosed space. At its bottom, one angular horizontal stroke fully seals the box. Though its overextension to the left is not required in formation of the character and is thus purely ornamental. Taken as a whole, the upper half of the character is highly architectonic. It has a stable structure largely consisting of horizontal and vertical lines. Yet even so, these lines are not precisely horizontal or vertical. In fact, the horizontal strokes all follow a diagonal motion from lower left to upper right. And the vertical edges of the square start to press inward at the bottom, creating a narrowing effect in the center of the character. These formal maneuvers make the character visually more interesting and create an imbalanced tension in the composition, which is only resolved by the addition of the second half. Three curving strokes stretch across the lower part, supporting the architecture above. The first flows smoothly from the center to the left, gradually diminishing in thickness until a pointy tail is formed. The second starts at the right before bending around to the left, yet it differs slightly from the previous left stroke in length and direction. As a general rule of thumb, Variation is preferred and repetition avoided. For the calligrapher's goal is to make a character beautiful and a text visually interesting, both on the level of individual brushstrokes and the composition as a whole. Finally, one heavy stroke stretches outward to the right, dominating the lower section. Its gentle curvilinear top edge is juxtaposed with the strong angular bottom edge. And in one single stroke, Ouyangxun combines two distinct calligraphic traditions. The flowing softness of southern cursive brushwork and the angular rigidity of northern stone carvings. Looking at the composition as a whole, we see a harmonious coexistence between tension and stability. In other words, the tension created in the upper architecture is still visible, but it is balanced by the arrangement of the free-flowing strokes at the bottom. They spread out to provide a solid foundation, but contrast with the regularity of the upper structure. Particularly, the exaggerated length and mass of the lower right stroke serve to balance out the upward diagonal motions of the horizontal lines, and this achieves a stable triangular composition. Going from top down, the character starts wide and narrows at the waist, before opening up even further at the bottom. To speak in anthropomorphic terms, the tight torso and outstretching limbs of the character exhibit a posture simultaneously austere and relaxed. By pushing stable pictorial structures to the threshold of imbalance, Ouyangxun achieved in his composition a combined effect of awesome liminality and tranquil harmony. 
This was a distinctive trait of his calligraphic style that has been much praised by historical commentators. Ever since its unveiling, the Jiucheng Palace inscription has been given the highest accolade by calligraphers and theorists. In the early modern era, it was even deemed the unrivaled pinnacle of the standard script. And according to the 10th century history of the Tang Dynasty, practitioners of calligraphy soon took Ouyangxun's inscription as a paragon for imitation. Rubbings were made immediately after the erection of the stele, and countless versions circulated during the Ming and Qing dynasties. These reproductions contributed to the persistent popularity of the so-called O style and its canonization in the history of calligraphy. But as a documentary and artistic object, the Jiucheng Palace stele has a particularly complicated history of making and reception. It was commissioned by Emperor Tang Taizong to commemorate the discovery of a sweet-tasting spring in his summer palace. Its text was composed by a wise prime minister who recorded the history of the palace and the discovery of the spring before counseling the emperor against excess. Then the text was put to calligraphy by the most celebrated hand of the day and carved on the stone by an anonymous but highly skilled craftsman. Though the content of the inscription could be very interesting to historians and archaeologists of the Tang civilization, it was the visual form of writing that sparked a thousand-year-old conversation that persisted through the centuries. Today, Ouyangxun's Jiucheng Palace inscription is still widely imitated by students of calligraphy and is often regarded as an introduction to the practice. As an instructor once said to me, many more years must you immerse yourself in the acquisition of this one style before moving on to learn another style or starting to form your own. Not unlike painting and sculpture in early modern Europe, Chinese calligraphy is first a practice of imitation. Only after the formal skills have been successfully mastered through close looking and imitation can calligraphy become an art for the expression of the poetic self. Thank you for listening to In the Foreground Object Studies. For more information on this episode and the artwork discussed, please visit clarkart.edu slash rap slash podcast object studies is created and produced by me caitlin woolsey with editing by john butine music by light chaser and additional support provided by annie jun jesse centivan and caroline fowler the clark art institute sits on the ancestral homelands of the mohican people we acknowledge the tremendous hardship of their forcible removal from these homelands by colonial settlers a federally recognized nation they now reside in Wisconsin and are known as the Stockbridge Muncie community. As we learn, speak, and gather at the Clark, we pay honor to their ancestors, past and present, and to future generations by committing to building a more inclusive and equitable space for all.